Our theme verse for this month has been Isaiah 9, 6, which says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. All right, how many of you here had a father? Some of you hadn't figured that out. Um, Biology requires that we have a male figure at least involved in the conception of our lives. But just because you had a biological father doesn't mean that you've necessarily had a good father. The problem that many of us face when we hear about Jesus Christ being named our everlasting father is that we project on him the image that we have of our earthly father. So when we look at God or we look at Jesus Christ, we look through the lens of our earthly father. That's a natural thing to do. But I want to talk to you today about how Jesus is not like your earthly father. A few weeks ago, I interviewed um, Teresa Gillis in our Life's Healing Choices series. And one of the things that she mentioned that, that really caught my attention, even while I was talking to her, um, was she said that her dad was never around when she was growing up. So she had no concept of what a father was until she got married and, and had children. And then she saw uh, her husband being a father, that was the only concept that she ever had. She said, consequently, she had never called God father. That was something that, that just kind of a hole in her heart that she didn't, she didn't have the experience of having a father there. So when she prayed, she never prayed to God as father. And she's dealing with some of those issues because her dad was never around. Now, Isaiah knew, I think Isaiah knew way back 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. I think he knew that part of our issue was we were going to need a perfect father because our earthly fathers are not. And I want you to look at what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children. Now, we've talked about this whole series that, that Christmas tends to magnify whatever problems are in your life. Um, loneliness is magnified at Christmas. Money issues are magnified at Christmas, right? Yeah. You know what's funny, too? We used to, we used to pretend, uh, this is, we didn't do this consciously, but subconsciously, we used to almost like pretend that Christmas didn't exist until December. And then we're like, we don't have any money for presents. What are we going to do? And you know, doesn't it come every December 25th? So now we have an envelope marked Christmas presents and we start all year and there's so much freedom in that. Anyway, let's go ahead. Strained family relationships are magnified at Christmas. Some of y'all don't want to get together with your families, right? Because you know, it's going to happen. You know, this one family member, I don't know who it is, but you know who it is, just does not like you or you don't like them and you're going to something's going to happen but you know for many of you this this person called dad might just bring the most pain during this christmas season because in in my dealings with people and i i've been a minister now for 26 years 19 years as a youth minister and so i dealt a lot with teenagers and, and it, I saw the devastation of, of teenagers growing up without a dad or, or with some of these characteristics that I'm going to share with you. And I, and I, I know this, this term dad doesn't necessarily bring happy memories because some of you, number, uh, this first thing, this first uh, characteristic, some of you had a dad who was never satisfied. 
And I don't want you to testify because he may be in the room. And so you don't have to say anything about that. But some of you came from a home where you never heard, I'm proud of you. You never heard, I love you. I would do anything for you. For whatever reason, those words just never came out of your father's mouth. And you've been damaged by that fact. And what happens, and, and, and this happened with me a lot. My dad came from the World War II generation. Um, he fought in World War II, and dad just didn't say the words, I love you. He just didn't say the words, I'm proud of you. And so what I did was I ran around trying to excel in, in sports and in school and in various things just so I could have my father's approval. I knew he loved sports, and so he never missed a sporting. He used to take a, a week of vacation every year when all-stars were going to be played in baseball, and he would spend that time there. But but the only way I knew he was pleased is if I you know struck out a bunch of people because he, he used to say, if you you strike this guy out. I wouldn't even hear it. I'll give you 50 bucks. And so I knew, man, if I did well, I was going to get cash. And I liked that. People questioned the, my uh, amateur status because my dad was paying me. But then we figured out that was okay as long as it stayed in the family and nobody else was paying me. The last couple of years, I've gone home to see my dad uh, before uh, Father's Day because dad's 87. And uh, I know that, that dad just doesn't have all that much more time. So I'm trying to cherish all of my time with my dad. And so I'll fly home just by myself and hang out with mom and dad for a couple of days. And this last year, I just decided to ask him. I said, dad and I were standing in the kitchen. I said, hey, dad, are you proud of me? And he said, you shouldn't even have to ask. And I said, well, I am because you've never told me. I said, daddy, I know, I know you're proud of me, but you've never said the words. And I just want to know. And, you know, he kind of looked down and he said, he said, son, I, of course, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all my kids. And this led to this long conversation. But I just I just decided I wasn't going to let my dad pass from this life without hearing those words. Back in college, I started saying, I love you to my father, because that was just, you know, you'd say, I love you, dad. And he'd go, oh, me too. Now, my dad regularly says, I love you, son. Coolest thing in the world. I just thought, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people, you know, weeping afterwards. I want to know before he passes that, that my dad's proud of me and that he loves me. But, you know, the reality is a lot of us, our dads may never be satisfied with us on this earth. And that's painful, but it's true. And you probably bring that into your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't think that God is ever satisfied with you. So we keep on performing, we keep on trying to do things, we keep on wanting to hear those words, and it wears us out. Some of us had a dad that was always angry. Some dads use angry words to punish and hurt, and we have the scars to prove it. Other dads, though, go beyond words, and they abuse physically, and some, I, I just can't even comprehend, abuse sexually. And I heard just this week of a dad who, as he would sexually abuse his daughter he would quote ephesians 6 1 which says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right what kind of attitude do you think that young girl has about god i wish i had i wish i'd documented where i read this story it's probably been 10 or 15 years ago i read a story and i don't know if it was amish people it was somebody like that 
but there was a, a, a man in that clan who was abusing his wife and the, the other men of the society found out about it. They showed up at his doorstep one day, drug him out, beat the living daylights out of him and said, if you ever touch your wife again, we will kill you. I was like, yeah, let me in on that. Because there are certain things that should never be done. And I can't imagine how that person would get over it. And some of you need healing that, that only God can give. And, and because of your relationship with your earthly father, it's no wonder you can't see God as your everlasting father. That doesn't bring good images to you. You need to come. You need to come to celebrate recovery. And you need to learn about the healing that only the everlasting father can give you. And then you watch what God does because we've got, we got some people, and, and not ironically, most of our volunteers who are going to stand up here and hold up their cardboard testimony sharing their issues with you have been through recovery. And, and I've never been in a church where I have participated in something like this, and I'm so looking forward to it because people are going to stand up here and say, here's, here's my stuff, and here's what God has done. They're going to turn that over. Oh, and I know that those are the people that are going to experience freedom. And if there's pain and suffering in your past because of your relationship with your dad, you've got to find somebody that you can share that with. Find a Christian person and then watch what God does when you're honest about your stuff. And see, no matter what kind of uh, earthly father... Well, I'm skipping one. Some, some earthly fathers are rarely there, and that's what Teresa told us about. Maybe he was absent physically or emotionally, but the damage is just as deep. Janie never really knew her dad because they, her parents owned the uh, newspaper in uh, Meridian, Texas. And I can't imagine there being that much news in Meridian, Texas because it's about the size of Elkhart. But, but he was gone from sunup until 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And so she just didn't know what a dad was supposed to be like. And, and she says she watches me. And that scares me because sometimes on rare occasions, I give my wife and my children a glimpse of my heavenly father. More often than not, because I'm a dork and I do stupid things, I actually hide the image of the risen Christ that's dwelling in me. And it just scares me to death. But no matter what kind of father you had, you need two fathers. You may have had a great earthly father, but you need a spiritual father. God designed the family so that the earthly dad would point all of the children towards a heavenly father. But reality is that doesn't always work. And if you're one of those people who have suffered through divorce, you understand why God says, I hate divorce, because it destroys families, it hurts children, and, and we don't ever cast blame on that. That's in your past. We want to see you get healed from that. But the reality is a lot of our children grow up and they never have a father. So when you start talking about God as dad, they don't like it. And they don't want to draw near. It's no wonder they don't draw near to him because of their earthly experiences. But the incredibly good news is, is this child in the manger, one of his names is Everlasting Father, and he's a dad worth trusting. 1 John 3, 1 says, The Father has loved us so much that we're called children of God. So here's the big news flash today. Jesus is not just like your dad. He's not your dad 2.0. He's not just a little bit better than your dad. Jesus is the perfect everlasting father. So I want to take the focus away from your earthly dad for a few minutes, and I want to focus on this heavenly father. And the only way you will ever get a true picture of what your heavenly father is like is through the Bible. 
All the time, I had this discussion this week with my children. All the time people are saying, oh, well, God told me to do this. And, and these red flags go up because what they say God told them to do is not in here. Did God tell them to do something that contradicts his word? No, never. So the only place you're ever going to get a true picture of God is not someone's experience, is not someone who writes about all this stuff that they've heard about God. The, the place you're going to get the most accurate picture of your everlasting heavenly father is through the word of God. Now, here are some things I want you to understand about your everlasting father. Number one, he is completely satisfied with you. Have you ever thought about the greatest sacrifice that someone could make, could possibly make for another human being? What is that? Hello? I can't hear you. I'm going deaf. You have to speak. You have to take their place in death. Now, I have no doubt that, that I would die for my wife or my kids. I, I don't even, that wouldn't even be a choice for me. If I had to give my life for them, that wouldn't be a choice. But I want to know how many of you would die for a complete stranger. Right now, anybody want to step up? I'll die for a complete stranger. How many of you would give your life right now for somebody who's not even been born yet? Anyone? That's what your heavenly father did. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1, 5, and 6, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. God not only saved you, but he saved you for a purpose. And do you know what that purpose is? He wants to give you a ministry, and that ministry is to be a kingdom of priests for his Father. That's a big deal to God. He saves you for a purpose, and that's so that everybody else can hear about this incredible spiritual father that you've discovered. You become a reflection of the risen Christ everywhere you go. And the reason our churches are struggling so badly is because our people that are supposed to be children of God are struggling so badly that the reflection they give to other people is distorted. And people say, if you're following God, I want nothing of him. And so here we're just real dead level honest that we're messed up. People say, I don't want to go to church because they're filled with hypocrites. We say, yes, we're hypocrites. Come join us. You'll fit right in. Because I don't know anybody that's human other than Jesus Christ who's never been a hypocrite. Who's never said one thing and done another. It happens. So we're just real honest about that. And we go to God's word and try to figure out how to how to handle those issues. And we try to be honest about our stuff. And we really believe that when we're honest and God starts to work in us, then this incredible thing happens from the inside out. And I begin to look like Jesus Christ. And you begin to look like Jesus Christ. And people start to notice and they go, there's something different in that church. And it's not the preacher. It's not the music. It's not the videos. It's God. And people are drawn to that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized. Says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and your hope and a hope. Any good father wants to see his kids do well. I want my kids to succeed. I want to do everything I can to help them succeed, to go to college, to get their college degree, to, to do whatever God has put them on this earth to do. And I'm going to cheer them on and help them as much as I can. But since your heavenly father made you, he knows exactly what will satisfy your soul. 
He has a purpose for you, and you won't be fully satisfied until you do what your designer, what your creator made you to do. That's a pretty good God. That's a pretty good dad. Your everlasting father is completely satisfied with you and has a future and a hope for you. But your heavenly father is also slow to anger. Any of your dads have a quick temper? Hush. My son's looking at me and smiling. Some things are better left unsaid, my son. Did you ever intentionally make your dad mad? Most of the time I didn't intentionally do it. Sometimes I did, but most of the time because, you know, my dad really was one of those slow to anger. It was my mom. Anyway, won't go there. Um, but, but dad was pretty slow to anger, but when he got ticked, you did not want to be around. That, that was, you know, the reality is most of us didn't think about how not to make our dads mad because we just didn't think, right? You check the brain out, you know, what were you thinking? I don't know. And most of the time I really didn't. But thankfully, God is not just like my dad when it comes to anger. Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And here's the thing. God is very honest about me. He's very honest about you and about our condition. He says, you know what? You're a sinner. When, when the uh, religious leaders brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, Jesus didn't gloss over her sin. He, he poured out grace on her, but he said to her at the end, he said, where are, your, where are those who condemn you? And she said, there are none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. He called her a sinner. He said, you got to quit this lifestyle. So Jesus tells me I'm a sinner, but he loves me anyway. Romans 5, 8 says, not only did he tell me that, God showed how much he loved us by having Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. And the really cool thing is God is not like your dad or your mom when it comes to remembering sins. God says, when you confess your sins, that he forgets them. Isaiah 43, 25. I am the one who erases all your sins for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Doesn't that sound like a God worth trusting? Doesn't that sound like a dad that you'd want to spend eternity with? He's completely satisfied with who you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he has this plan for you. He's slow to anger. But, but there's a third one, and this is the coolest one to me. He's always there. Always there. Hebrews 13, 6 says, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Does anybody know what the word never means? Never. Just being stupid, I decided to look it up in the dictionary. And I'm going to share with you what I found. Here it is. Never. In case you don't know how to pronounce it. The emphasis is on the first syllable. That's why it's in bold. But check this out. Not ever, at no time, and then I love this, such an idea never occurred to me. Leaving you, abandoning you, never occurred to your everlasting father. The second one is, second meaning is not at all, absolutely not. This will never do. Abandoning you, leaving you, forsaking you will never do for your everlasting father. Let me tell you some things about your earthly father. He was not sinless. Does anybody need convincing of that? Okay. 
He wasn't all-powerful. He wasn't all-knowing, although sometimes it seemed like he was. One time I snuck out of the basement window because that was right underneath my bedroom, and the next day Dad says, what are you doing outside the house? And I'm like, I wasn't outside the house. Yes, you were. And I'm like, how'd you know? Footprints. And he thought that would scare me the next time I just used a branch and covered up the footprints. I just got smarter. Your dad couldn't be everywhere all at the same time. By the way, there are window contacts on all of the windows in my house so that if you try to, because I, I, I grew up. So before my children were born, I had window contacts put so it'll, it'll trick the, trip the alarm. Your dad was limited. Do what? Yeah. His life was temporary, and, and the last one really kind of gets to me because uh, when, when I hang out with my dad now, dad sits around a lot more than he used to. Dad started working when he was 12 because he was growing up in the middle of the Great Depression, and he had to leave school uh, in the eighth grade, so he never completed eighth grade, and he had to start working to bring in food for the family. And uh, so dad is now 87. He's been working for 75 years. 1934 is when my dad started working. And he has lawnmowers piled up all around the house. And my mama hates those. Um, But he's still working as much as he can. But he sits in the chair more than I've ever seen him do before. And, you know, we've been on cruises with him. And and we take wheelchairs. And I I push him around. And when we go places, I, I push my dad in a wheelchair. And I'm honored to do so. But it kills me to watch my dad age. I was thinking about this this week, and I actually I, I started crying as I was thinking about my dad. When I was 12, dad took me to um, the circus there in, in Borger, Texas. And, and dad, in my eyes, dad was old. He was 54 at that time. So in my eyes, dad was old. You know, I'd never seen him do anything athletic and whatever. And dad looks at me, and he goes, race you to the car. And I'm like, you sure? Because I just assumed I'd smoke the old guy. And dad took off in those blue jeans and those stupid black dress shoes. And he smoked me to the car. I was just in shock. I didn't know my dad could run. I'd never seen my dad run before. Dad doesn't run much anymore. Dad shuffles around. And and, uh, and it really bothers me. Um. And it'd be really, really sad if all I had to hang on to was the past about my dad. And if if this physical thing where I'm watching him uh, deteriorate before my eyes, that'd be really, really sad. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that God will make everything new. If I could, I would restore my dad to full health. Dad uh, was in the Navy when he was 19 years old. He was a good-looking guy, and mom, my mom said she was a sucker for a man in uniform, and, and dad was so good-looking. And now he's hunched over and walks with a cane, and if we go anywhere, he has to ride in the wheelchair. If I could, I would restore my dad to health. I'd, I'd watch him play baseball again. Who knew? My dad played baseball. My brother saw him, but by the time he was 54, you know, he was old. He could still run, but he couldn't hit anymore. I would watch him date my mom. And I would thoroughly enjoy a reinvigorated Chuck Washburn. I'd do it if I could. But I can't. 
But the Bible tells us that God can. God restores. He doesn't camouflage the old. He restores the new. When my dad's last day on this earth is here and he goes to meet God, God will pull out, the master builder will pull out the original blueprints and he will restore my dad's body. He'll restore my dad's hope. He'll restore his soul. And I'm not at all trying to rush my dad's departure. But dad is closer to his eternal home than he's ever been before. I see it. You may not have noticed it, but you're closer to home than you've ever been before as well. Each moment is a step taken. Each breath is a page turned. Each day is a mile marked, a mountain climbed. You're closer to home now than you've ever been. And before you know it, your arrival date will come. If you're a child of the everlasting father, then you'll descend the ramp into the holy city of God. You'll see faces there waiting for you. You'll hear your name spoken by those who love you and have gone on before you. And maybe, just maybe, in the back behind the crowds, the one who would rather live, die for you than live without you, the one who will never leave you, who will never abandon you, the everlasting Father will remove his nail-pierced hands from his robe. And he'll applaud. Because his long lost child is finally home. That's the everlasting father. Who wants the best for you in this life. But this life is not all there is. And he can't wait. Until he ushers you into your heavenly home. 